Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that by the power of your spirit, you would speak to our hearts, that we would receive what you want to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, growing up with a name like Ted Duncan meant that I had to get used to being called by nicknames. My sisters and parents called me Teddy when I was growing up, and they still do. My classmates in elementary school would call me Teddy Bear or Teddy Ruxpin, Duncan Hines or Duncan Donuts. When I was a high school teacher, my students used to call me Slam Duncan. Obviously, they had never seen me play basketball before, but nicknames are an interesting thing, and the Disciple in today's passage, Thomas, has been given a rather unfortunate nickname, the nickname of Doubting Thomas. And I want to show you this morning why that really is an unfortunate and inaccurate title for this particular disciple. The title for today's message is Unless I See. Unless I See. Verse 24 says that now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin. That's his actual nickname. That's what they used to call him. They called him the twin. Maybe he, he looked just like one of the other uh, disciples. Maybe he grew up with a twin brother. We're not told why, but that's what his nickname was. But he was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. What we have here is an initial rejection. If you're taking notes today, write that down. Thomas gives us an initial a rejection. Think about this from the perspective of the other disciples. They had heard Mary say, I've seen the Lord. And now they have the privilege of telling Thomas, we've seen the Lord. And Jesus appeared to them. He breathed on them, said, receive the Holy Spirit. He also, he also told them that he was sending them to share the message of forgiveness. And the first person that they're being sent to is Thomas, a fellow disciple. I mean, of course he's going to believe. I mean, this first pitch is going to be one coming right over the plate, nice and slow. It's not even a baseball. It's a beach ball that's being tossed underhand. And they swing at it and they miss terribly. They're caught off guard, no doubt, by, by Thomas's utter rejection of the good news. And Thomas lays out his requirements, his conditions for believing. And he emphatically says, unless I see this, I will never believe Maybe that's how you feel. Maybe you feel a little bit like the disciples. You're a follower of Jesus and you've seen him transform your life. You can't wait to tell your family members or your friends or your co-workers and you share with enthusiasm and yet you not only feel rejected, but you know that they are rejecting the very message of Jesus, his resurrection and the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Well, you need to understand that if you feel rejected, if your message has been rejected, that the disciples also experienced that same kind of rejection. But maybe you don't really identify with the disciples. Maybe you identify a little bit more with Thomas. Let's, let's think a little bit about what's going through Thomas's mind at this point. I mean, it's been a pretty crazy week for him. The things that he used to trust in, the things that he used to believe, they've all seemed to unravel. I mean, Judas, the 
the treasurer, the one who they all trusted implicitly, the one who was sort of the model of, of integrity, he betrays Jesus. And then the Peter, the leader of the disciples, he ends up denying Jesus. And then Jesus, the one who performed all of these miracles, the one who healed the sick, the one who walked on water, the one who multiple times the, the Jewish leaders tried to stone him to death, but he evaded and avoided them. Now, why did Jesus allow himself to get arrested? Why did, why did he allow himself to be crucified? Why did he die? Why didn't he intervene the way he intervened in so many other, other situations? So Thomas at this point is, is, is not just doubting, he's just disappointed. He's despaired, he, he's, he's disillusioned because Everything that he had trusted, I mean, he was all in for the last three years. I mean, he had put his life on pause, his career on pause. He had put everything on pause to follow Jesus together with this band of brothers. And all of that has seemed to fall apart. And maybe like Thomas, you've had an experience like that. Where in, in church or in ministry or maybe even in another religion, you were all in and you were so invested and you ended up being so hurt and so disappointed and the pain is deafening. You can't hear anything else. That's what's going on in Thomas's life. And I know that there are many people watching right now and that's exactly what has happened to you. Listen, you can find hope in Thomas's story today. He's not doubting Thomas. He's disillusioned Thomas. He's disappointed Thomas. He's disoriented Thomas. All the things that he was trusting in. He doesn't know if he can trust anymore. And the disciples tell this story about how they've all seen the Lord. He wonders, well, why was I singled out? The one, the one time I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't there among the group. Why did Jesus choose to appear then? And all Thomas is really asking for when he's talking about the, the wounds in the side is he just wants the same evidence that the other disciples had access to. That's all he's asking for. Thomas knows Jesus. He knows that when Thomas asks a specific question, Jesus is going to give him a specific answer. Back in John chapter 14, when they were in the upper room, they had just had the Passover meal together. Jesus starts talking to them about the way, and he says, you know the way. And then Thomas kind of interrupts and says, uh, Jesus, we actually don't know the way in John 14, 5. Thomas had an honest question. Jesus is not afraid of our questions. Jesus gave a straightforward answer. He said, Thomas, you do know the way. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. So Thomas was simply looking for an answer. He had a specific question. And then Jesus shows up eight days later. This is actually a week later in the way they, they counted days in the ancient world in literature. They counted the first day and the last day. So, so a week is counted as eight days days. So this is the following Sunday. They're all there, same situation. They were all inside again, and Thomas was with them. The doors were locked just like before, and Jesus came and stood among them just like before. He said peace to them just like before. The only difference is now that Thomas is there. And Jesus goes right at Thomas. He tells him, put your finger here, and, and, and put your hand here. He shows him his hands. He shows him his side. And then he commands him, do not disbelieve, but believe. 
You see, Thomas asked a specific question and he got a specific answer. What are your questions? What's stopping you from following Jesus? I'm talking specifically to those who have tuned in. Maybe you've been worshiping at Hope Church for uh, several years. Maybe you've just recently tuned in now that we're doing services online, but you're not a follower of Jesus and you have one or two reasons why you're not. What are they specifically? What are your questions? You see, if you ask a specific question and truly seek the truth, you will find answers. Maybe your, maybe your questions are, are of a scientific nature. You're not, you're not clear on how evolutionary biology and what the Bible teaches about creation, how those things could, could fit together or they seem to contradict one another. Again, what is your specific question? And have you questioned your question? Have you even looked into the amount of faith that it actually takes to believe in the theory of evolution? Darwin himself in The Origin of Species said that archaeologists over the course of time would reveal a fossil record that would prove his theory. Here we are. Archaeology has continued and there is no fossil record that proves the theory. In fact, everything that we know now about DNA and about the, the cell calls into question so much of what Darwin taught. And Darwin didn't have access to any of that information when he wrote The Origin of Species. I want to challenge you to question your questions. Maybe your question is more philosophical. Maybe you wonder, why are, there, why are there so many different religions? Can't we just say that they all lead down the same path? Can't we say that there are multiple ways up a mountain? Isn't it true that all religions teach the same thing? Well, it's not true that all religions teach the same thing. And you know what? There aren't multiple ways to get to the top of a mountain. There's only one way to get to the top of a mountain, and that's up. You don't get to the top of a mountain by standing still. You don't get to the top of a mountain by moving away from the mountain. You don't get to the top of a mountain by digging a hill under the mountain. No, the only way to get to the top of a mountain is up. And the world religions contradict one another so profoundly that it's, it's the same as standing still or digging a hole or going up or moving away. They can't all be true at the same time. The only way to get to the top of a mountain is by going up and Jesus is the way up because he is the one who has come down God in the flesh to show us the way he told Thomas I am the way and the truth and the life so don't let these questions get in the way if you are honestly seeking you will find the answer Thomas wanted specific evidence and he got it he wanted to see the wounds, and Jesus showed him the wounds. What is standing in your way? Listen, there's too much at stake. We're talking about heaven and hell. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about the afterlife. We're talking about judgment and righteousness. There's, there's too much on the line here just to say, ah, oh, there's some things about science or about philosophy. No. Maybe the truth is, that it's, it's, it's not science, it's not philosophy that's stopping you from believing in Jesus. Maybe you're just thinking about the actual implications and the changes that will be required in your own life if you chose to follow him. Listen to what Jesus tells Thomas and hear it as though he's speaking to you. Do not disbelieve, 
but believe. Look at the evidence and believe. So we have this initial rejection and then we have this powerful declaration. Thomas gives a powerful declaration. He's looking at all that's taking place. He's seeing the resurrected Lord Jesus. He's seeing the scars. He's hearing and recognizing the voice of his shepherd. And all these memories start flooding in. How in John chapter 5 verse 23, Jesus says that all may honor the Son the way that the Father is honored. He remembered how Jesus in in John chapter 8 said, before Abraham was, I am, using the personal name of God, claiming to be eternally pre-existent, claiming to be God. In John 10 verse 30, Jesus saying, I and the Father are one. Thomas never understood these things when Jesus was saying it, but now that he sees him resurrected, he says, my Lord and my God. He declares that Jesus is master and ruler. He declares that Jesus is divine, that he is God in flesh. Now, this is a powerful Statement. I mean, especially when you consider the political and cultural context, politically speaking, they are living in a region called Judea, which is owned by, run by, occupied by the Roman Empire, ruled by Caesar. And in order to be at peace under Caesar's rule, you had to declare, you had to articulate that Caesar is Lord. That was, that was a statement that all people had to say. And yet Thomas here is saying, Jesus is Lord. On top of that, think about it from a cultural perspective. Thomas was raised in a Jewish family. He belonged to a Jewish synagogue. He would have been brought up and understood monotheism, the idea that there is one God and that God is one. Now, Thomas still believed that God is one, but he now believes that God is three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so he says to Jesus, you are my God. So politically, Thomas is sticking his neck out there, calling Jesus Lord. Culturally, religiously, he's putting his neck on the line and saying that Jesus is God. And notice the personal nature of what he says. He says, my. Not that you're the Lord and and that you are God. He says, no, you are my Lord and my God. Now, some people think that Jesus never claimed to be God, that he never said it, that he he wasn't even conscious of it. It's something that Christians made up long ago. But listen, you need to read these biographies about Jesus closely. I mean, multiple times Jesus flat out said that he was God. And, and, and pay attention to the way that people reacted to what he said. When, when he made these statements in John chapter 8 and John chapter 10, specifically in this book, people picked up stones to try to kill him because they thought he was committing blasphemy. They knew what he was saying and Jesus knew what he was saying. Jesus didn't correct them in that moment saying, you misunderstood me. So we need to pay attention to what Jesus said and how people reacted to what he said. We also need to pay attention to what people said about Jesus and how he reacted. Here's Thomas saying to Jesus, you are God. Now look at Jesus' reaction. He says in verse 29, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus says what what you've just said is right. What you believe is true. And he pronounces a, a blessing on all who believe after him. You see, this would have been a great time for Jesus to clarify with Thomas. No, I'm not God. I'm not Lord. Where'd you get that idea from? No, Jesus said, no, what you believe is true. And you believe this because you've seen the evidence. 
In Acts chapter 10, Peter goes to Cornelius' house. Cornelius bows down to worship a Peter because he's so overwhelmed by, by the fact that Peter has come to visit him. And Peter says, stand up, what are you doing? I'm a human being just like you. When Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra, they, they call Barnabas Zeus and they call Paul Hermes and they say, what are you doing? Stop doing that. We're men just like you. Even John, who wrote this gospel in the book of Revelation in chapter 19 and in chapter 21, John is so overwhelmed by everything that he's seeing on two different occasions. He bows down before the angel that's showing him all of these things. And the angel says, stop that. I'm a, I'm a fellow servant just like you and your brother. So listen, other disciples didn't let other people worship them. Even angels didn't let other people worship them or call them God. And yet Jesus here allows Thomas to declare that he is God. It's a powerful declaration. It's remarkable that one of the most profound and succinct statements about the identity of Jesus, that he's Lord and that he's God, was made by someone who didn't even believe that he was resurrected from the dead just a matter of minutes earlier. This is the kind of transformation that an encounter with the living God can actually have in a person's life. So an initial rejection, a powerful declaration, and then thirdly, a personal invitation. John now interrupts the narrative as the, as the storyteller. He sort of breaks down the, the fourth wall from a filmmaking perspective and gives commentary on this conversation. You see, John's whole narrative has been building to this Point. And what he wants, he wants the reader to step into the shoes of Thomas. That we would look at the evidence like Thomas. That we would make the same declaration. I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that Jesus is God. So John says in verse 30, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. He gives this personal invitation. John says, listen, Jesus did all kinds of other crazy stuff, man. I, I, I could, he's, he's going to say later, listen, there aren't enough books on planet Earth to contain all of the stories that I could tell. But he says, this has been custom crafted for one reason. This whole story has been building to this point right now, reader. I want you to get this. All of these signs that I've written down, John's uh, gospel includes seven signs or seven miracles. It started with the water turning into wine in John chapter 2, the healing of the official son in John 4, the lame man who had who was beside, beside the pool, the feeding of the 5,000, the healing of the blind man, the raising of Lazarus, and then the death and the resurrection of Jesus is the seventh and the ultimate sign. He says, these signs were written so that you may believe. Believe is the key word in the Gospel of John. That's the reason why he wrote it. It occurs almost 100 times in this 21-chapter book, seven times in this paragraph alone. He wants us to believe. He wants us to believe what Thomas believed, that Jesus is God and that Jesus is Lord, that he is the master of our lives, the ruler of all things, that he is divine, that he is God in flesh. Look at the evidence and 
believe. Some people think that belief is just somehow leaping into the dark, that, that to be a person of faith means that you disregard evidence altogether. No, no, no. Thomas was an eyewitness of the resurrection. John was an eyewitness of the resurrection. These things were written so that we would believe. You say, well, I don't want to believe an eyewitness testimony. Well, listen, our whole, the whole study of history, our entire legal system is based upon eyewitness testimony. I mean, I wasn't present in, in France in 1917 in mid-April uh, or March, but I... I believe that we won the battle of Vimy Ridge. I wasn't at Maple Leaf Gardens on May the 2nd, 1967. I didn't see John Pappen tap in the winning goal to beat the Montreal Canadiens. But I believe by eyewitness testimony that the Toronto Maple Leafs have indeed won the Stanley Cup. I've never seen it myself, but I believe that it did happen a long, long, long time ago. You see... We need to understand that, that in seeking for eyewitness testimony, it, it, we just need to look for the right eyewitnesses. We need to look for actual eyewitnesses. We need to understand whether or not they are trustworthy or not. And John here is saying, listen, I was an eyewitness. I saw these things. I witnessed these things. I believe and I'm writing these things so that you would believe as well. Belief it's more than just agreeing that something is true. No, it's active trust. John wants us to put our active trust in Jesus Christ, to believe some things about him, to believe that he is the Messiah, the Messiah or, or the Christ. This is the one that Old Testament prophecy points to. This is the one that fulfills the longing inside every human heart that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and that He is the Son of God, that He and the Father are, are one, that, the, that God exists as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, and that by believing, we may have life in His name. We have life in His name by understanding His death, by looking at the scars like Thomas looked at. And understanding that when he suffered and died, he suffered and died for me and for you, for our sins that you and I have committed against a holy God, that we would believe and trust in him and that in believing, we would have life in his name, life, eternal life after this life, in the afterlife, on into eternity. Not to have an eternity facing the judgment of God, but eternity to experience the joy of being called a daughter or a son of God, to relate to him as father. Jesus said that he came to give us abundant life in John 10. In John 17, he said that this is eternal life, that we would know God. Eternal life starts now. It's not just something that we look forward to in the future. It's right here and right now. Are you living it right here and right now? And if you aren't a follower of Jesus Christ, will you take that step? It's not a step into the dark. Look at the evidence. Look at the things that Jesus has said. Look at the world around you. Look at the creation and understand that there is a God who made you and who loves you and who sent his son to bring you into relationship with you so that you could be forgiven of your sins and so that you could be rightly related to him and live true life, 
that by believing in Jesus, you would have life in his name. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray right now that you would grant the gift of faith, Lord, particularly to those who do not yet follow your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that they would believe and that they would have life in his name, that they would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that they would believe and, and, and admit and acknowledge that they are sinners in need of grace, Lord and that they would place their trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, and that they would commit to follow him as Lord, that they would say like Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And for those of us who already are followers of Jesus, I pray that you would draw us so close to you, that we would know you and love you, that we would experience eternal life, abundant life right here and right now for your glory. Lord, we say with Thomas, Lord, I believe, I believe in Jesus' name, amen.